because we haven't been together, I don't know. Uh, let me back up. I know in the I Am Moses series we were connecting because we did that, a lot of it together, and then I would get email comments of, you know, I didn't think this series was going to apply to where we are now, but it really does. Uh, but in, in the series that we're in, I, I really don't know if you're getting it because I can't see you nodding and, oh, that makes sense to me, or, oh, yeah, Mark, I was like you. But I don't know how you might be, but I know spiritually I can be exhausted, spiritually speaking, which takes a toll on me emotionally and mentally and, and even physically. It just wears you out. It's because I grew up with this thing that said, oh, it's by grace you're saved, but you stay in by doing. Now, I can understand, as I study history, and I study the history of our movement, so many people came out of lifestyles that they, they were destroying their life through vices and gambling and all of those things, and the pool halls in those days were often associated with, with gambling on the side. And a guy would go to work, and he'd get his paycheck on Friday, and he'd go there Saturday and Sunday and blow it on, and his family would have nothing. And so when those people came to know Jesus... And suddenly they weren't held by those vices anymore. It's like, woohoo, you know, we have a paycheck and it lasts all week. And dad's not drunk. I'm sorry, but that's, you study the history. Our movement came out of the holiness movement, right living movement. That's what happened. And so for them, it was a life change because it was a heart change. Does, does that make sense? So I'm not, I'm not negating what happened. Do, do you hear me? Please nod your head and say, yeah, we get that. We get that. I haven't had any live feedback except Bailey. Did you hear her during the offering last week? Oh, 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 she was right at my feet. And then the dog next door during the benediction. God bless you. She'd barked all night. And then during the, anyway. So you get to replace Bailey. Um, anyway. I'm not negating what they did because it was a heart change. But by the time it got to me, I'm third generation. I never went to the pool halls. I didn't drink and I didn't gamble my money away. But suddenly it was a rule. You, you all know where I grew up. I remember one Christian group that it was in their contract when they rented our place to put a tarp around the fence of the pool and the girls would have to go swimming, and they'd swim by themselves. They'd have to show up in a robe and a towel on their head and all of that. Then they'd swim, and then they'd get out, and they'd let the water sit for 30 minutes because they didn't want cootie. I don't know what the thing was. And then all the boys would go, you know. And, of course, I was 13 when that group started renting our place, and I saw all the guys, and they said, man, you know, we, they don't even let us see the girls swimming. I said, well, it is camp, and there is a hill. If you go sit up there, you can see right over the top of the thing. Glad you figured that out. Yeah, it didn't take me long. <laughs> I mean, for a teenage boy, I lived in Mecca. Every week, a new batch. I don't, I don't, don't take that. I'm 13, okay? Give me a break. I'm 64 now. I'm a little different. But do you get, do you get my point? Yes. And I grew up with that. 
And I grew up with, you don't smoke, you're going to go to hell. There's nothing in the Bible about smoking. You'll smoke in hell, but that's a joke. You know, that's not good for your body and our bodies, but it's not an issue of salvation. I remember one time when we went to a church and they served communion and it was real wine. I thought my mom was going to have a stroke. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Jesus served grape juice and everything he did. No, no, you get, you get what I'm saying? Yes. So that's where I was coming from in this. Trying to measure up to all of those things can be exhausting. But here's what the Bible says in Psalms 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest. Will find rest. Not rules. They'll find rest. Come on, you guys need to nod harder. I'm working here. You see, we have had this idea that we're saved by grace, and, and thank you for picking songs that had grace. And that second song, I didn't need to preach if you listened to the words. But it's like once we got in, now you had to stay in by law. You should read, I can remember, you should read 10 chapters a day. My gosh, if you get Psalms 119 in your 10 chapters, that thing's in, it's, its own book. And if you, you know, oh, I slipped. I only read eight that month, that week, or that day. You should spend 15 minutes in prayer. Okay, get on my knees, dear Lord. Well, I kind of ran out of things. I got eight and a half minutes to go. Or then the pray without ceasing thing. Oh, don't forget to pray, don't forget to pray. Oh, I ceased. And what I didn't understand, it meant to be in an attitude of prayer. When there's a need, you pray. You don't wait till dinner. You okay, there's an issue. You see a wreck on the road. It happens in our car. Jill says, God, protect them. Bring them health. Send the right care. Whatever, you know, that's what you do. It's an attitude, right? Yes. But we, we weren't taught that. And what we were taught were sin management efforts. Here's some things you can do. Here's some disciplines you can engage in to keep everything under control. And the minute you quit the discipline, out went the control. But that wasn't the message. The message is, we'll find rest. Ephesians chapter 2, follow me. I think you got that. Yeah, thank you, Dale, for coming over at 12.04 yesterday and printing those. Or 12.17, I get a message. Dale's in the church, Dale left the church. Um, I know when you're here. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. I've had, I've missed all the one-liners. God can point us <laughs> in all future ages as examples. Examples. Mark's an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. I'm an example. And believe me, I'm a real example. Amen. <laughs> Don't have to agree, dear. Grace and <laughs> kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Do you get it? You're united with Christ. So what are you receiving? Grace and mercy. What did you do to get it? Nothing. You're united with Christ. Amen. I'm excited about this. Amen. God saved you by his grace when you did a bunch of stuff. No, it's the key word. It's when you believed. It's when you believed. It's when you believed. Belief is the way you think. 
I hope you caught during this teaching, repentance isn't reciting a litany of things you did wrong. Repentance is saying, my thinking is wrong. I'm going to align my thinking with yours. That's repenting. Jesus says, you're the righteousness of God through me. I agree. I used to think I was filthy rags. I don't. I agree with what God says. You know what? Paul, when he writes to the church, he doesn't say, hey, you sinners. What's he say? Saints. Saints. He said, I don't feel like a saint. Who cares how you feel? God looks at you through his son. You are a saint. Amen. Yeah. Now, I don't always behave saintly. But that doesn't mean I'm not a saint. This is, this is stuff. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Is, are those in your, is that first in your notes? Circle that phrase. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. I want you to get it. Your old man can't do anything that's right. That's why it's called the sin nature. You say, where did it come from? Well, let's see. There was Adam and Eve. And they chose to listen to the adversary in the garden. It all starts in Genesis 3. You've heard me teach this, right? So, so that then became sin. And we're born in that. That's our nature. That's our old man. And God knew he couldn't conform us or change us. He knew he would need to transform us. We would need to, like, start over. We might have to be Born again. The old man can never be reformed. So here's some phrases. Write them in. If you are a sinner, you haven't been saved by grace. We, I, I grew up with this. Well, and, and it was in testimony times. Well, pastor, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're either a sinner or you're saved by grace. You're not, you can't be both. I was a sinner. I'll go with that one. And I am saved by grace. So the next one is if you've been saved by grace, you're not a sinner. If you've been saved by grace, you were a sinner. But now you're someone else entirely. You see, Jesus changed the whole equation. Jesus changed it all. Number one, Jesus died to take the sins of the world upon himself and to redeem everyone who will, circle this, believe. Right living is a result of right believing, not right doing. See if you've ever heard this verse before. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Do you get it? That God was 
angry at the world. He had wrath towards not people, but sin. But when Jesus took the sin of the world, daddy wasn't angry anymore. Because he is who he is, I am, number one, saved. Saved. Simple fill-in. I'm saved. Romans 5 says, Our friendship with God was restored by death of his son while we were still his enemies. Notice, we're still separated. His death came first. The restoration came next. It wasn't, oh, I've got to do ten things and finally God will let me in. No, he said, I'm going to fix the way, then you can come in. Because I'm going to change it. I am going to come in to you. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. I don't think I put this in your notes. Maybe I did. Salvation gets God out of heaven and into me. Did I put it in there? Good. It's, it's worthy to be kept. Salvation gets God out of heaven and into me. In Colossians 1, it says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you. Who is Christ? He's the Messiah, the anointed one. He's God the Son. Think about that. An infinite God chooses to dwell in this vessel. That's a mystery. It makes no sense. He said, you know, we had a temple. That didn't work out so well. We had a physical temple. And I only could let one of your guys in once a year to get really to the heart of the matter. That didn't work. So let's try it again. I'll come live in your temple. And I'll be easily accessible each and every moment of every day. Our salvation is received by faith. I put it in all caps in my notes. Salvation is received by faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord... And here's the key. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Two things. I declare Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart. Do you see any list of things you need to do there other than believe and confess? That means to speak that Jesus is Lord. That's all it takes. For it is by believing in your heart, I want you to circle this phrase coming up if I didn't highlight it in your notes. You must believe in your heart that you are made right with God. You're made right with God. How? By believing. I grew up with this mindset, and I told you when I went to the altar and accepted Christ. It's a Sunday that I, or Wednesday night, excuse me, that I broke the window at the Minneapolis First Foursquare Church. I threw a baseball through it because I snuck out a dad's sermon. 
I immediately came in at altar time, ran forward, and mom said, you had a glorious experience with God. Of course I did, because I thought I might be meeting him that evening. (laughs) Salvation for me was just, well, I don't want to go there. But then I spent years of my life trying to follow all the rules. And being a preacher's kid, there's even more. He's aloof. He should be friendly. He's too friendly. He should be aloof. You know, there's this, oh, he wore too nice of clothes. He, he, you know, he's, he's not wearing nice enough clothes. Oh, he didn't smile. The stuff. It's believing that you're made right with God. It's by believing that you're made right with God. I believe what he says about me, that I'm right with him. You know what made right means? Righteous. I'm in right standing with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Okay. Okay, we're going to have two special offerings. One is for a microphone to go with that TV. Can you tell I've been in front of a live audience? I do this at work, too, and that's been dead since March, so. (laughs) I'm catching up, people. (laughs) Titus 3. Making up for lost time. When God our Savior, you're getting your money's worth today. Um, When God our Savior revealed his kindness. Dale, remind me. I don't know if we put offering plates out. Oh, look, a chicken. Um, Titus 3. (laughs) (laughs) When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Why? Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit on us through Jesus. So, because of this, I'm saved. Second, I'm a new creation. Number two, I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. Entirely new. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. You see, you can't reform your old man. You, as a person, must be transformed. You need to start over. You need to be born again. First Peter, Peter wrote it this way in verse 3 of chapter 1. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because how? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Skipping down to verse 23. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Thank God. Your new life will last forever because it comes from an eternal living word of God. Who is the eternal living word of God? Jesus. Number three. Because he is, I am sanctified. Ooh, there's one of those spiritual words. I grew up with, uh, yeah, you're a new creation. Yeah, you're saved. But now you need to get to work on your sanctification. And here's your rules. I'm going to joke. I grew up in the mountains. Don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. (laughs) Being sanctified means to be set apart or made holy. You're not for common use. We're not the common anymore. But look at what the scripture says. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, even before he made the world, 
So God wasn't caught off guard. In other words, he had a plan already. It says before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. What? To be holy. That means sanctified, to be set apart. And to be without fault in his eyes. Oh, can you get it? Without fault. When he looks, I know the list. Believe me, I live in this. But when he looks, I'm without fault. Why? Because he looks at me through the lens of his son. And his son has made me righteous in right standing and has sanctified me and made me holy. First Corinthians chapter one, God made us right with God or Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He set us free from sin. Jesus told us his his uh, mission in verse uh, 19 of chapter 17. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Who is God's truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God's truth. You see, we need to get these two points. We cannot add anything to the finished work of Christ. Either it was good enough to save us and sanctify us and make us holy and set us apart and give us, make us a new creation. Either it was good enough or it's not good for any. And part B, any attempt on our part is mere foolishness and always ends in defeat. You'll say, where did you come up with that? Colossians chapter 3. Glad you asked. Yes. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians. What an open, wouldn't you love to get a letter? Oh, foolish Mark. Yeah, great start there. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And he answers, but you didn't give him a chance. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed. You see how that keeps coming around? You believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? And after starting your new lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is where the spiritual exhaustion comes in. I love Wayne Cordero, and I love New Hope Church. And we took all of our pastors in this district, and Pastor Rob, our founding pastor, was one of them. And we went over to New Hope Christian Fellowship. And he shared with us his discipleship model, which was journaling. And it's actually, it, and we have them somewhere over there. There's nothing wrong with journaling unless you think you're doing it to measure up. Did you hear what I said? If you're doing it because you love God and you want to come closer to him, you want to understand who Jesus is, you want to hear the voice of the Spirit, and you want to write it down, which the Scripture challenges us to do, by the way. If you're doing it for that reason, go for it. But it should never be a, if I, oh, I missed a day. God doesn't love me anymore. His love is without condition. 
Nothing wrong with it. Please don't go out of here and say, oh, Mark just bashed Wayne Cordero. No, Wayne Cordero's been very successful. He has discipled hundreds and thousands of people. He's built mega churches. He's the president of a Bible college. I have no argument with him. I'm just saying, I'm using that as an example. Many people took that, and it became a thing for them. I've got to do this. If I don't, I'm not measuring up. God's going to be mad at me. Let me remind you of the verse from the Mark O'Connell version. Daddy isn't mad anymore. Because he is, I have received a couple of things. An abundance of grace. An abundance of grace. Meaning, whatever my transgression is, whatever my failures are, Whatever my shortcomings are, his grace is abundant. It exceeds whatever my offense is. How many have ever heard some acronym? Yeah, there you go. For grace, God's riches at Christ's expense and things like that. I'm going to give you one for grace. God's real attitude clearly expressed. God's real attitude is clearly expressed. He doesn't hate us. He's not mad at us. He's been trying to say, I created you because I wanted to have a relationship of love with you. You fell away. I made a way for you to get back and to make it even better. Since you couldn't get over to me, I decided to come over to you. What more? That's a pretty neat message. Amen. We receive an abundance of grace. Romans 5.17. I changed versions because you all know it in the ones that we normally use. If one man's sin, and that one man is Adam, Adam and Eve, brought a reign of death, that's Adam's legacy, how much more will those who receive grace in abundance, that's me, and the free gift of redeeming justice, you might want to circle that phrase because I'll explain what that means in a minute, reign in life by means of one other man who is Jesus the Messiah or the anointed one. Romans 6 says, sin no longer is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I've heard this said, well, you know, you don't want to make grace cheap. And, you know, it's, just read Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? No, may it never be. But the fact is, our old man, guess what we are? We're sinners. So guess what sinners do? Sinners sin. It's what we do. <laughs> right? Ephesians chapter 1. We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. John 1.14, the voice, and I'm not talking about do-do-do-do, you know, I'm not talking the TV show. The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We've seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor, the one true Son of God, evidenced in a perfect balance of grace and truth. Did you get that when I was teaching on the scale? 
If God's complete righteousness is holiness in here and they put everything I do good and bad over here, it's never going to balance. But when Jesus steps on my side of the scale, it's equal. And because God is a just God, truth is justice, okay? He says, well, you're in balance. In balance requires that I execute this sentence. You're sentenced to heaven. God can't not send us to heaven. I know it's a double negative. 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living within me. I will do this teaching later. Grace is three things. It's his unmerited favor. It's his everlasting mercy, but it's also his operational power. So when you hear, I live in the grace of God, it's not just, oh, I'm living, oh, I'm getting something I don't get, and I'm not getting something I should get. It's also, I'm getting empowered to do what I need to do. Second, I receive the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. And the gift of righteousness is right standing with God. I want you to picture this. And I was reminded of this illustration because since we're moving, I was taking stuff out of the upper shelves of the garage and a box fell open and out fell a picture of my bride in her wedding gown. It brought back memories of 39 years ago, almost. A couple of weeks. And I thought about this picture. Suppose you were told, we've scheduled a meeting. You're going to meet whoever you consider to be the greatest royalty on this planet. Maybe you consider it the, the Queen of England. Or, or maybe you consider it a president or a, whoever, Right? And you're having this meeting, and you're thinking, what should I wear? And I imagine you'd put as much time and effort into that as we did on our wedding day. Jill picked out her dress, and then she said, and this is what you're wearing. <laughs> We've continued that for 39 years. <laughs> It does. It's fine. It's fine. But picture that. So you're dressed in your best. And suppose you arrive and the representative of the royalty looks at you and says, why did you show up in those rags? You can't go meet the king or the royalty dressed like that. Go try again. How would you feel? So here's the illustration. The royalty is God. You make all your efforts to dress yourself up. 
and not look like a pig out of the pen. And you arrive with your best efforts. And the keeper of the door says, that's the best you can do? You'll say, you're making this up. No, it's in the Bible. Isaiah 64. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. I'm going to gross you out, and, and you don't need to explain to your children. Filthy rags in the Hebrew is menstrual cloths. You dressed up in what you viewed your best. And from the other perspective, why are you bringing that into the palace? Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. But here's the good news. You don't go before the royalty dressed in your best. You go dressed in his best, Jesus. It's a gift. It's a gift. Romans 5.17. Now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah? Who gets the gift? It is given to those who believe. 10.10 of Romans. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God. We need to change our thinking. We need to repent. I used to think I was a sinner. No, I am the righteousness of God. Woe is me. Blessed is me. Do you see it? God, through Jesus, made it possible for us to receive it. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God orchestrated this, the anointed one, that's Jesus, who had never experienced sin, became sin for us so that in him we might embody the very righteousness of God. When God looks at me because I have believed in his son, he sees righteousness and righteous people don't get stopped at the door. You're dressed in something wrong. Is that your best effort? Come on in. The original title of this was The Grace Exchange. So I put it in as my last point. This is the grace exchange where grace rules in our life. Romans 5.21, as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us what? Right standing with God. Think about it. The creator of the universe, you can stand in his presence. And it results in eternal life all through, by means of Jesus Christ our Lord. How does grace rule in your life? As we believe, we receive. How do you find spiritual rest? 
You move out of a life of effort, and you change the way you think. Believe, receive. Believe, receive. Believe, receive. I hope none of you have struggled for decades like I did, because it's exhausting. And the only reason I didn't give up is I didn't want to go to hell. Frankly, wasn't that excited about heaven, because if I had an angry daddy all the time, I didn't want to go there anyway. But I didn't want to go the other place. And when the reality and truth of God's word Mark, you need to quit trying to measure up. I measured up for you. When are you going to let that be a gift in your life? A gift. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift. It's a gift. How do I get the gift? You believe. And when you believe, you receive. And when I started looking at what his word said about what we are, that we're righteous, that we're holy, that we can overcome all things, we can make it through COVID, through Christ who strengthens me, we can learn to love our enemies through Christ who strengthens me. We can forgive people that are hard to forgive through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ, through Christ. How do we receive him? By faith. We believe, we receive. I'm done. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. I pray for your dear people that if they haven't experienced the transformation that comes through a changed mind by believing and receiving I pray today before they leave this place they will recognize that your love is real and your grace is available and it's not cheap but it's free your grace was costly because it cost you your son but that made it free for us who confess that you are Lord. So we do that today. Give us spiritual rest in a season of unrest. In a season of trouble and turmoil and strife, give us rest. May we be confident and comfortable in our hearts and our spirits, Lord, because we know we're in your hands. Amen and amen.